everyone. Welcome to episode 67 of Real Life Ghost Stories. How you do? To kick things off this week, we need to thank our newest Patreon subscribers. We would like to thank Sam GT. Barry Taylor. Melissa McCutcheon. Liz Dawson. Travis Boniface. Mary Taylor Asenau. Asenau. Yeah, that would make sense. Mary Taylor Asenau. Sorry about that. (laughs) Harriet Fitzpatrick. Jenny Walton. Edgar Campos. Ashley Bush. Kate Ireland. Kath Lee. Henrietta. Becky McCulley. Caitlin Cantelme. Amy McGuinness. Amanda Bowles. Jamie Clare. Laurie Davold. And Sana Diker. Oh, I'm really sorry. That was I'm really a bit of a sorry, struggle. Mary Taylor Asenau. I don't know why I couldn't say that the first time around. I apologise. That, that was that was a real struggle for both of us, I, I think. Know. I'm sorry. Thank you so much for being our Patreon subscribers, though. We love you. Yeah, and we, we really ap- do. We appreciate it massively. Is it, can we blame Storm Kira for us being able to mispronounce those names? It's very stormy here today. I think feel like the house is going to blow away. I went to the shop earlier and I was concerned that I would just blow off into oblivion. Oh, it's very stormy. We've got a promo this week. Oh, exciting. One which I am very excited about. So one of our lovely listeners, Anna, who has listened since the very beginning, is a doctor of psychology. So obviously a very intelligent woman indeed. She has started a podcast called The Forensic Files, which is all about forensic psychology. And amazing to hear it from the perspective of a genuine psychologist. Like that is amazing. And she talks about... Um, she's done two episodes and they're short they're like 20 minutes which I think is really good as well if you're just looking for a bite-sized chunk she talks about the intricate world of forensic psychology and what it means and how to become a forensic psychologist and what forensic psychologists actually do and she uses really usefully uses cases uh, real life cases to kind of back up her points about forensic psychology and it's really fascinating really fascinating and gorgeous so I'm going to play her promo now the Forensic Files is a new podcast that puts a twist on traditional true crime. Join Dr. N as she explores true crime through the lens of forensic psychology. Can you make a murderer? Can we trust expert witnesses? How are false memories made? How likely is it that you would confess to a crime that you didn't commit? All these questions and much more are discussed on the podcast. Weekly episodes will touch on different topics, stories, and empirically-based research that highlight forensic psychology's contribution to true crime. Learn more about this exciting field and how it informs the legal system from the crime scene to the courtroom. And we're back. Hello. (laughs) So please go and listen to The Forensic Files. That is F-O-R-E-N-P-S-Y-C-H. And I'll leave the name of the podcast in the description of this episode too. So our film review this week... Yeah. Is Annabelle. Annabelle was released in 2014. It has 5.4 out of 10 on IMDb and 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. Would you like a little synopsis? Go for it. John Form thinks he's found the perfect gift for his expectant wife, Mia. A vintage doll in a beautiful white dress. However, the couple's delight doesn't last long. One terrible night, devil worshippers invade their home and launch a violent attack against the couple. When the cultists try to summon a demon, they smear a bloody rune on the nursery wall and drip blood on Mia's doll, thereby turning the former object of beauty into a conduit for ultimate evil. First of all, I'm going to apologise 
to you, Dan, because I know how much you hate dolls, but I also find it terribly amusing. You know, so I just can't help I did myself. Feel when we were watching it last night, that I was being set up for this. Now I've seen Annabelle before. You went to see it in the cinema I on did. your own. I remember. I, I don't know why, but you did. You faced your fear. Well done. Yeah, I didn't see. Oh, was it Annabelle? Was it? I think it might have been Annabelle Creation. It wasn't. It was, it was Annabelle. Annabelle. Was it? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, um, it wasn't as bad as I remembered it being. Actually, in hindsight, I mean, it wasn't great, but I thought it was much worse than that. Worse as in bad or worse as in scary? No, worse as in bad. It's I... scary because of the dolls. It doesn't need to do anything. There's so many dolls in that film. Mm. She, um, To be honest, that lady deserved to be haunted by a doll because she brought so many of them into her life. Yeah, lot, a lot of clutter, I think. And lots of really creepy dolls. Like yeah. that one that did the little laugh. Oh, yeah, she has. So this... Blech. this Because I, I was wondering when I read the synopsis, I was like... Why in the world is this grown man g- buying a doll for his grown ass wife? That's ridiculous. And then I like she does collect them, and this was the last doll she wanted for her collection. And you know what? I get that. If you collect dolls, like I collect a lot of crap. Emma will. Yes, he does. Attest to that. And if you collect dolls and that's your thing, that's great. Just know that I will never be coming over for a cup of tea. If you want to collect dolls, I've got no issues with that. I'm just uh, just don't want them anywhere near my house. My nanny used to collect dolls. I told that story in the podcast before, but she did. She used to collect porcelain dolls. And I, she gave me three porcelain dolls that I used to keep in my wardrobe at home. They were very cute. Like, they weren't, like, freaky. They were just... Not all porcelain dolls are freaky. They're not they really. Are, they're I awful. don't understand the fear of dolls. They're so scary. I, I get, I get like that it's irrational. I get that. All phobias are... That's the point of them, really. They're irrational. You've seen Annabelle. It's not irrational. Yeah, but I wouldn't that be like... Creepy. See, my problem... Around. My problem with the whole Annabelle universe is that if I was in that situation where I had a doll that was moving around or whatever, I would just get rid of it. I would burn it. I would, like, throw it away. And if I got rid of it and it somehow appeared back in my house again, I wouldn't be thinking, oh, fuck, we'll just keep it. Like, that's ridiculous behaviour. And I also think that I would very successfully fight a doll and win. I don't know what everyone's so afraid of. It's a doll. Uh, you say that, but I think it would end up you becoming very wily coyote, i.e., always trying to get rid of the, <laughs> trying to get rid of the doll, and they just keep coming back to the point where you more and more elaborate ruses to get yeah. rid of the doll until yeah. I eventually blow up the house. Yeah, mm, yeah, mm. probably. Actually, I could imagine that happening. So, so oh, sorry, we're just rambling now. What's your thoughts on the film? Genuinely, the film I didn't think was as bad as it was the first time I watched it. I think actually it was okay. I've just got massive problems with the Annabelle universe, which I never thought would be a sentence I'd say. When I saw the first film, because I was like, "That's one is enough." Um, <laughs> Whether does there need to be a whole universe? But this was an Annabelle origin story, and then they did another Annabelle origin story, which doesn't work. It doesn't make Annabelle. any sense. So there's either multiple Annabelle dolls, which I don't think there is, or this isn't canon, and I've got a problem with things that aren't canon. I I really dislike as well. And this is just me being pedantic. So the beginning of the film, like this is in the first kind of 15 minutes, there's lots of references to Charles Manson and the family and how Charlie Manson had just been arrested after the Sharon Tate murders and loads of the cults were still on the run, blah, 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 blah. I find it, I find it really tasteless to vaguely use that narrative and to exploit that narrative in order to somehow link it to a satanic cult. Just have a new satanic cult. Like, Sharon Tate died, along with her baby. 
You know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, I except just... it's about basing it in reality, isn't it? Because they want you to think that all of these are loosely based on reality. That's the point of it. Yeah, I get that. But I just find it, I just find I it I mean, the, the context of it was ridiculous. If you frame it in where the rest of the stories have gone. Well, yeah. I haven't seen Annabelle Returns yet. I will watch it. I don't know why I put myself through it, but I will watch it. But we know from Creations, which is supposedly the origin, that it's the spirit of his dead daughter plus some demons. And oh, yeah. the nun, right? Yeah. But in this one, it suggests that it's the blood of the satanic cult person that has fallen on the doll, and it's actually her spirit and the demon that she conjured that's attached to it. Mm. Just make your mind up. And if you've already made a film and then you go back to make a creations film, think about what you're doing. Yeah, just just consider it. Unless I've missed something, because I know we get called out all the time for not paying attention to these films and missing things in the narrative. Um, if I have, please tell me. Otherwise, a bit disappointed. There's far too many dolls in this film. Just going to put it out there. Well, I do think they missed a trick with those two others that were part of the set where they could have had like a clan of evil dolls doing it's some sort of demonic. some sort of tag team. But I then just, I guess it becomes a bit chucky, doesn't it, after that? And I also feel like, you know, there there is um a demon in this story and I I feel like there's a real power taken away from from a from a demon and the the fear of a demon when it's a man whose face is painted and he looks vaguely cat-like. I was a bit like, oh, he's a giant cat. I'm not They've that frightened anymore. They've just got to stop doing it. They, they really do. They just, there is more horror in the unknown than there is in revealing something like that because I it's so fantastical. I completely agree. Completely agree. If you, it's like, it's like that age old thing with films like Signs. The less you see, the better. Because then when you finally get the big reveal, it's never as scary as you think it's going to be because your imagination is far scarier. And the best bit in this whole film was the bit where she's in the elevator. Yeah, and she and, just can't get it to go up. And she can't Ooh. get it to go up. And that is really good because you can't see what's chasing her. No. And it's brilliant. But the minute you see that demonic figure, it just loses all its power and it loses all, all of the fear factor. They, were, they did miss an opportunity in this though because I thought, you know, when, he, when the demon is holding the doll up in the air, I thought we were going to see another nun running with the portrait bit where he's just going to run towards her with <laughs> or, the doll. Or he goes, Ha, <laughs> <laughs> So what are you going to give this film out of five? I've got to give it two scores. Oh, rogue. So as a standalone film, I'm going to give it three out of five, which is very basic and, and annoying to everybody I know. But as part of the wider universe, I'm going to have to give it one. Because it doesn't make sense. It no. doesn't fit and that's stressing no. you out. And I've now got to go back and watch both of them again and take notes. And write a strongly worded letter. Yeah. Who directed it? Was it James Wan? No, he's, he's one of the producers on this one. Ah. But, he's, he's all... but you can still write him a letter yeah. anyway. Well, I mean, he's going to okay. come on the podcast at some point. I'm going to give it a two because actually I think it's a very disappointing film. I was prepared to be really freaked out. And Is it better or worse than Creations? The other Annabelle. Worse. I thought Annabelle Creations was okay. Like I, that as a horror film, it was it was genuinely okay. But I, what really annoyed me is that the there was only kind of a nod to the original Annabelle story. Like at the very beginning, there's a nod to the two nurses who originally got the Annabelle doll. So I decided that our story this week... Oh, you haven't done this, have you? ...is going to be oh, the no. real Annabelle why, why Origins why? story. Why would you do that to me? I don't want to know it. Can, is there any way I can just go in the other room and you just talk to yourself for a bit? No, you're going to sit here and you're going to listen. <sighs> I don't want to do this So one. you're going to have to take this story out of the context of the Conjuring universe. We're removing yeah, that. Fair. This is a sto- This is just a, just a horror story. A well-documented story. Are you ready? No, I'm not ready because this is about a flipping haunted doll. Haunted doll. I, I, I can't even talk properly. Okay, settle yourself in. 
Are you ready? No. 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 In 1970, nursing student Deirdre Barnard received what appeared to be an innocuous gift from her mother. A gift that would eventually turn her life upside down. Deirdre lived with fellow student Lara Clifton and their flat was frequented by Lara's fiancé, Cal Randall. On her birthday, Deirdre received a child-sized Raggedy Ann doll from her mother. There was no discernible reason as to why Deirdre's mother thought this was an appropriate gift. Deirdre did not collect dolls, nor did she have an interest in them. Her mother simply thought it was something novel, something decorative for the apartment. The doll was large, about the size of an average four-year-old child. It has a permanent smile painted onto its face, a triangle nose and large eyes were also crudely painted onto the material. Its hair was a shock of red wool and it wore a simple floral pattern dress with a white apron. While it may seem like a strange gift to bestow upon an adult woman, Deirdre accepted it with grace and the doll became a permanent decorative feature in their household. Each morning after she made her bed, Deirdre would place the doll on her bed sitting against the pillows. Each evening, she would return to find the doll still sitting on her bed, propped against the pillows, but each evening, something would be... different. Deirdre always placed the doll in the same position, sitting with its legs straight out and its arms by its side. But sometimes Deirdre would think that the doll had moved, ever so slightly, throughout the day. As humans, we all rightly question the validity of our own memories... And that is exactly what Deirdre did. Each evening she would come home and the doll would be positioned slightly differently. Tiny movements like the legs would be crossed at the ankles or the hands would be folded on its lap. Deirdre dismissed this as her own lapses in memory. But when she noticed it once, she couldn't help but become more and more suspicious. She decided to test the fantastical theory that the doll was taking on a life of its own throughout the day. Deirdre began by purposefully leaving the doll in a certain position as she was leaving for work. She left the doll cross-legged and with its arms folded and sure enough when she came home, the doll's position had changed. She wondered whether it was simply the muscle memory of the material but each evening she arrived home to the doll in entirely different positions than she had left it. And this was when the doll began to move from room to room. One night, Lara and Deirdre returned home late. They opened the front door, chattering, laughing and dissecting their day. On pushing open the door, they both froze in horror. The doll was in a chair by the front door, kneeling upright as though it was praying. The girls began to panic as all attempts to recreate the pose of the doll failed. The fact that it was made from fabric made it completely impossible for it to kneel unaided and it continually toppled over lifelessly each time they tried. Despite their growing fear of the doll, the girls kept it in their apartment, trying to rationalise how it would move from room to room, somehow opening and closing doors behind it. They would regularly leave it in the sitting room by day and return at night to find it somehow closed in Deirdre's room perched on the bed as though waiting to be discovered. And yet, the girls continued with their lives and the phenomena escalated. 
as though the blind acceptance of the moving doll was not enough for whatever was desperately trying to get the girl's attention. The handwritten notes were an unwelcome development. What? Deirdre and Lara began to come home to find notes scrawled in childlike handwriting all over their apartment. Notes that were handwritten in pencil on odd bits of parchment. Again, seeking to find a logical explanation, the girls tore their apartment apart, trying to find a similar sort of parchment that could explain the notes, or even a pencil that matched the one with which the scroll had been written. Neither could be found, anywhere in the apartment. The notes alternated between alarming and threatening, each one reading, Help us, or Help Cal. As the notes continued, the girls began to grow suspicious. Was someone messing with them? Was it possible that this was a sick joke, or was someone trying to scare them? They left markers at every point of entry into their apartment, on the window ledges and at the doors, and while the doll continued to move, there was no sign that anyone ever entered or exited the property. There were two events that caused the girl to seek external help. The movement and the notes seemed to be explainable, but it was some blood and a chocolate boot that were the final straw. One night, Deirdre returned home to find the doll perched on her bed, as usual. Except this time it wasn't usual. This time the doll was blood-sodden, with blood splatter on its hands and chest. There was no sign of blood anywhere in the apartment, and neither girl had any open wounds or injuries that could account for the presence of blood on their doll. And the chocolate boot? Well, that was another matter. And strange that this, over the blood, caused the girls to seek help. One day, at Christmas time, the girls arrived home to find a solitary chocolate boot sitting on top of their stereo. It had not been there when they left the apartment, and both denied any knowledge of buying it. It just appeared, like a Christmas gift. They decided it was time to consult a medium. The medium they visited listened with great sympathy to their plight and offered an answer to their quandary. Their apartment was haunted by the ghost of a young girl called Annabel Higgins. Annabel had played in the fields long before the apartment was built upon them and these were happy memories for her, so she was unable to leave these fields. She had been endlessly searching the apartments for someone to play with her and struck gold when she found two girls with a giant child-sized doll She began to move the doll to get their attention because she wanted to play with someone, with anyone. The medium helpfully asked the girls if they would allow Annabelle to move into the doll, to which the girls agreed, feeling hopelessly sorry for poor little Annabelle who just wanted a friend to play with. And from that moment on, the doll became known as Annabelle. It's a tricky thing, to entrust your sanity into the hands of a stranger. I've no doubt that Deirdre and Lara questioned their sanity, or at the very least, questioned the sanity of each other. How satisfying, then, is it for someone to offer a sense of validity to a situation that seems so far beyond the realms of possibility, never mind credibility? This medium offered the girls a tangible answer to their problem. 
to accept the spirit of a lonely little girl who just wants to play removes any sense of the sinister from their situation. Besides, they were both training to be nurses, a vocation in which empathy and compassion are key. But not everyone who experienced Annabelle was so sure. Cal was utterly convinced that the doll was evil. I suppose the help Cal messages did not help Annabelle's image for him, but this experience was markedly different to that of Deirdre and Lara. You see, Annabelle gave Cal bad dreams. Dreams that would reoccur night after night. In this dream, Cal would awake and leave his sleeping body behind him. He would watch Annabelle the doll enter the room and stand at the foot of his bed, seemingly staring at him. She would rise slowly from the floor and glide up his body until she reached his chest. Her arms would outstretch and she would place a fabric hand on each side of his neck. In Cal's words, this would create some sort of electric current and he watched himself being strangled night after night. A nightmare, however bad, can be explained away. But being attacked in real life cannot. On this particular night, Cal was in the apartment with Lara. They were poring over maps as they were due to go on a long road trip the next day when the noises started. Softly, at first, they both listened as they heard the soft sound of dragging furniture, which slowly got louder and louder, until both became convinced that someone had broken into the apartment. Cal burst into Deirdre's room, hoping to catch the intruder off guard, but there was nothing. No furniture had been moved. No one was in the room, except for Annabelle, who was lying in a crumpled heap in the corner. As he approached her, he felt a distinct presence behind him and turned, thinking it was Lara. What happened next is described by Lara. Cal refused to speak of it again. She watched as her fiancé shouted in pain and doubled over as though he had been attacked. She ran to him, and as he rose to speak to her, she realised that blood was seeping through his shirt and spreading over his chest. Lara helped him to the sitting room, and they removed his shirt to reveal seven deep gouges in his chest, three vertical and four horizontal, as though he had been attacked by a beast with claws. The next day, the marks were gone, and Cal, Lara and Deirdre contacted a priest. And that priest, in turn, contacted Ed and Lorraine Warren. That is the origin story of Annabelle. What are your thoughts? Don't like it. Don't like it at all. I don't like the idea of the doll moving. Don't like the idea of the doll appearing with blood on it and nobody knowing where the blood has come from. Don't like the idea of it being in a pose that you can't recreate. I don't like the idea of it being related to a little girl ghost or anything like that. Fuck off, basically. (laughs) Big box of fuck off. That's what this story is. Nope, 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 nope. When I read this story, I was like... This is such a crock of bullshit. Until, until you get to the part where she's like kneeling as though in prayer. That's, and, and they couldn't, and the girls couldn't recreate it. It's one thing. Because you could almost say that it was one of them doing it yeah, the other. That's, it's one thing the doll being point. in different positions. 
like you don't know one of them could be doing it to the other whatever 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 but when it's something that is unreconstructable that's a word I'm sure I'm sure that is a word (laughs) then it's like oh that's interesting but I still think it's something psychological. I don't Where'd think... Where'd the blood come from if it's psychological? I think it's one of one of the other Where'd is Where'd the chocolate boot come from if it's psychological? But it's Where's easily... Where's the doll praying if it's psychological? Easily one of them could nip home at lunchtime to be fucking with the other one. Yeah, but the, how far do you take that joke, though? But I think it's something to do... If you to get do... to the point where you're calling a priest and you surely go, actually... I think it's something to do with the, um, the fiancé, whether one of them was jealous... Of the other's relationship with the fiancé. I don't know. Either that or somebody is just fucking with them. Like you see loads of stories about people living in people's attics. And the people of the house don't know about it. And blah, 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 blah. I just don't know how I feel about it. I just don't. There's a, there's a very easy way around this. And that is you just don't bring dolls into your house. Or you don't buy your adult fucking daughter a doll as a present. Which Do you she reckon doesn't... actually it's the mom? Like she's got a vendetta against the girl. <laughs> she's just like, I'm going to buy you this haunted piece of doll stuff and you're gonna deal with it and then you'll realise that you should never be getting married you have to stay with your mum for the rest of your life wow never know that was a that was a, might a big be. leap well it might be at this stage they haven't done be. enough deep in, enough deep in enough deep digging around the mother the interesting thing about this story is that I can't find a single interview with these people who own this doll except for Ed and Rain Warren's book I cannot find any evidence of these people. Mm, interesting. I'm just saying. So obviously the story goes on. Ed and Lorraine Warren get a priest in. They perform an exorcism on the house. They take the doll. The house is fine. Cal, Deirdre and Lara are fine. And Ed and Lorraine Warren take the doll. And as they're driving, the car keeps breaking down. Every time they go to turn around a corner, the car stalls. They think it's the doll trying to kill them. Blah, 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 blah. They bring the doll home. Ed sits the doll in in, in a chair in his office and he states that the doll levitates every so often, but then it calms down. But then the doll starts disappearing and reappearing in different rooms in their house. Um, Lorraine Warren starts hearing growling all around the house. A cat starts appearing next to the doll, like materialising out of nowhere, sitting with the doll and then disappearing again. So they end up locking up the doll in the box. The doll is reportedly blessed once or twice a month by a priest. That's it. That's the rest of the story. It now lives in their haunted museum. Why do they never try to destroy it? I've absolutely. But how would you make money out of it if it if it's destroyed? That's a good point. That's answered that question. I'd be burning that thing, especially if it's a ragdoll. It's going to go up in flames pretty quick, isn't it? And I, you know what I mean when they're like this ragdoll physically attacked you. If I was if I was paranormal investigator going into the house, right, and I'm like, okay, so what's what's the story? What's happened? The doll is haunted. Okay, why do you have a four foot doll in your house as an adult? Do you collect dolls? No. Is it weird? Yes. Get rid of it. Solving your problem. Secondly... It wouldn't be four foot though, would it? It's just a rag, rag doll. That four foot is quite big. Oh, wait. It's the size of a four-year-old child. Yeah. That's not four foot, is no, it? it could be. No, and then I'd no be like, it's not. And then I'd be like, hey, let's talk about the fact that you are claiming to have been injured by a raggedy Ann doll. Just punch it in the face. Just kick it. Like, I don't... What... what? What's the it's big, whatever's what's the big attached idea? to the doll, isn't it? That's what Bullshit. he's saying. Bullshit. That's what he's saying, though. claw marks and stuff like that I just wouldn't have it I just I think you could burn that quite easily and you're right in a way about getting attacked because at least with the the Annabelle in the movie I know we're supposed to detach him but at least with the Annabelle in the movie obviously it's way scarier than the actual Annabelle doll in real life looks like but it's also like big enough and made of porcelain that you're like if it accidentally fell on you 
that potentially would give you a bruise or a cut because it's quite... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like Whereas a porcelain doll, yes, absolutely. Real Annabelle is made of She's material. She's a doll, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She's designed to be soft so that kids can hit each other with <laughs> Essentially, so... She's not going to do a lot of damage. You can definitely set her alight. I'd be setting her alight. Mm. And then when she reappeared, I'd be leaving house, home, running away. I would find it very strange to be in that situation, I think. I don't know how I'd... I just don't know if I'd be really that... I know you would be, but more so because it's a doll. Like, if you take any other inanimate object and say... Say it's like, I don't know, a teddy bear, you'd be less frightened by it. Not if it kept reappearing when I threw it away. Yeah, probably. But they they never threw it away. Why did they not just fucking throw it away? I don't know. I do not understand that. At least they tried that in the movie. Yeah, and it came back in again. I just don't understand the logic. I do, I really do feel like there's some. there was somebody living in their attic who was just trying to fuck with them, who left them a Christmas present of a chocolate boot. I don't. I think it was the mum. Do you think it's the mum? Trying to curse out the kid for leaving her on her own. I see. She went to a voodoo priestess and got her tea curse the doll well that is when Cal was interviewed he was like that isn't that isn't that is no normal doll that's a voodoo doll because he was really obviously upset by the whole thing but my whole story for this episode came from Ed and Lorraine Warren's book called Demonology so yeah but imagine like coming home and just finding handwritten notes lying around I mean that's weird with I mean, it would be Bim to be fair Bimmy is because they would all just say chicken's neck yeah where More is, KFC. Where is my chicken snack? I don't know. Help I just, bin. I just don't really believe it. I don't really believe it as a story. I think it's really difficult to believe something that the only validity we can get is from Ed and Lorraine Warren's book. Now, maybe there's interviews out there with the girl that owned the Annabelle doll. Maybe there is. Genuinely, I don't know. But I just couldn't find any. I couldn't find any evidence that anybody had ever owned this doll besides Ed and Lorraine Warren. And the only evidence of that story that exists is Ed and Lorraine Warren's Let's version of events. Her. Let's when, find those girls. When, especially when she is like their the biggest um, attraction in their haunted museum is Annabelle. Is she not with Zach anymore? Is she not with Zach now? No, she was. She's always been. Was she on loan with Zach at some point? I swear I've seen. No, it. I don't think so. I don't no. think she's ever been moved elsewhere. But she she's their biggest attraction in their haunted museum. So I don't know. You know what I mean? It's. I just feel like if there was somebody else that verified this story, like the girl who owned the bloody doll. Or like the fiancé who was attacked and like scratched on the chest or whatever. If there's some other verification, absolutely. I also, yeah, I believe it's true, obviously. Obviously. Um, but I do have to question the legitimacy of any real ghost event, ghost hunter people that collect stuff from a museum. Ooh, surely... rogue, interesting. <laughs> even Zach Bagans, obviously. Obviously. Um, because if you're actually that, you know, if you're actually in that business and your whole point is to get rid of or protect other people from them why would you be keeping them and then charging people to expose to go around and expose them to them unless you're making money because it's not real and it's an easy way to make money that's why yeah what did i just say i said i was questioning the legitimacy of them even so even in the chapter of ed and lorraine warren's book ed warren says don't be ridiculous dolls can't be haunted objects can't be haunted only people can Yet they take this haunted doll, in inverted commas, and put it in their museum, even though objects can't be haunted. Why is your museum full of haunted objects then, if you explicitly say in your book that objects can't be haunted? I feel like you're saying exactly what I just said. Yeah, I am. Sorry. (laughs) 
I'm just so not used to you being logical that I just assumed that you were going to say something ridiculous. And I and I unnecessarily contradicted or didn't. tried to contradict what you said and then realized that actually what you had said made perfect sense. But yeah, that does make me question the legitimacy of people like that. But I think objects can be haunted. Go for it. What about like bullets and stuff like that? Well, isn't the whole thing about Sarah Winchester the fact that she believes she's cursed because of what the objects that her family made did? Yeah. So, I mean, if an object, if the actions of an object can cause a family to be cursed, why not? Maybe if you were like that way inclined as well, if you're into black magic, you could attach stuff to objects. Probably. And like voodoo dolls to objects. But then we don't know enough about voodoo dolls and the practice of voodoo to be able to comment on how it works. No, but I'm just saying they're objects and they have a power. So yeah. just saying there must be a power. What about the Philosopher's Stone? That's an object. That has power. Uh, have you found it? No. Well Harry then. Potter did. <laughs> Harry Potter sure did in that well-known <laughs> documentary about wizards. <laughs> Would oh, you like some new reviews? I just that's, That story is just going to play on my mind now because I don't like the idea of the doll. Whether it's true or not, it's still my imagination can create some horrendous things from that. So thanks. Yeah, no worries. No worries. And next week, we're staying with our doll theme. So... Oh, no, don't. Can we do something else? Nope. Look at aliens or something? Nope. Please. Nope. Absolutely not. This podcast is mostly about torturing you, which is, you know, entertaining. (laughs) Thanks. Our first review comes from Abby Day, who said, What a hidden gem. After listening to a million ghost and paranormal based podcasts, I was looking for something new and boy am I happy I came across this bad boy. Not only are the stories great and exactly what I was looking for, but the hosts are great, funny and super likeable. Doesn't matter if you want a good spook or to laugh at the ridiculousness of it all. This is the podcast for you. Thanks, Abby Day. We love you. I feel like Abby Day is a really upbeat name. Yeah, it's isn't very it? It's similar to Happy Day, isn't Abby, it? Abby Day. Abby, Abby Day. Beautiful. I know. Everybody missed the dance as well. <laughs> Some names really work for that tune, but most names don't. So it's nice when you find one that really works. Big Walking Carpet says, <laughs> Such a great podcast. I love the bands between the hosts. Their interactions and the contrast between their reactions really adds a certain je ne sais quoi. The stories are fresh and not ones that you've heard over and over again. And the movie reviews are great. I actually can't watch horror movies, but enjoy the reviews regardless. Thanks for being such a fantastic podcast. Well, thank you for listening. And finally, we have Sakurachan67. Creepy stories with charming delivery. Just discovered your podcast and I'm hooked because of your fun banter and accents. Admittedly, I don't always understand what Dan is saying, but that's part of the fun. Love the stories and the films review, film reviews too. <laughs> I will try not to mumble. I'm really sorry. It was hard when we were sharing a mic. It was harder when we were sharing a mic. Yes, but I do mumble was. a lot. So yes, I need you to do. Enunciate. I've got some news this week. Happy birthday. No, it's still a bit early. Oh. I officially became a doctor this week. A circus doctor, apparently. So I just wanted to thank everybody because everybody was so supportive and lovely and great in all the time that I've been doing my doctorate, which is way longer than I've had this podcast. And there's been times when we've missed a couple of weeks because of me trying desperately to get my thesis in and all that jazz. But this week, I defended my thesis. With a sword? With a big sword. I went in, I killed some people, and I'm sorry, and now I'm on the run. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm officially a doctor of education, which is a very nice feeling after five long years. But yeah, just wanted to let everybody know. Well done. 
thanks very much. And secondly, if you enjoyed this week's episode and you would like to get to know us, you can do so by following us on Instagram. My Instagram is Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast and Dan's Instagram is 50p Movie Club. You can also find us on Twitter at Real Ghost Pod. You can like our page on Facebook, which is Real Life Ghost Stories Podcast. And you can also join our supergroup, which is RLGS Supergroup. The answer to the question is Emma and Dan. You can email us in your stories at Podcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to send us something, you can do so because we have a P.O. box. I swear, if anybody sends us a doll... I will laugh so much. I'm going to leave this podcast. And our P.O. Box is Real Life Ghost Stories, P.O. Box 1169, Canterbury, CT19QB. And finally, if you want to support us with your hard-earned cash money, you can do so by signing up to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com forward slash real life ghost stories. Where for $5 a month, you get an extra spooky episode a week. And for $2 a month, you get access to the complete back catalogue of 50p Movie Club, which is? Um, That is the other podcast that I do, where I still probably mumble, to be fair. Um, (laughs) And we watch a movie from the 50p section in CX, and we talk about it and laugh at it normally. And on that note, we shall see you next week. Bye.